0: A warning, this episode features dramatizations of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Also something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of a single myth about dwarfs. Today's episode combines research from various Germanic and Scandinavian stories for dramatic effect. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Each week our show brings you an in-depth exploration of mythology's most terrifying creatures. By learning more about where these beasts come from, we hope to discover why they've haunted humanity for centuries. Today's episode is about the Norse cave-dweller, the dwarf. Dwarfs are famous for their expertise in metalwork and smithing. But discrepancies in ancient sources have conjured an image of a creature that comes in all shapes and sizes. From jovial forge masters to possessive predators, the dwarf's unpredictability is unnerving. You can find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up, a dwarf succumbs to bloodlust. Norse mythology is filled with legendary battles. Heroes and gods have amazed us for centuries as they board their majestic ships and defeat their darkest foes, but never without the aid of their magical weapons. Thor isn't Thor without his hammer, Mjolnir, but we so rarely wonder where he got that hammer. Norse mythology's most hallowed tools were crafted by the dwarf. We might know the dwarf from literature like J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy or games like Dungeons and Dragons, but the dwarf is more complex than the signifier of medieval fantasy it has become. The dwarf is a pre-Christian, ancient Norse entity that lives beneath our feet in the realm of Svartalveim, the underground home of dwarves and dark elves. Some dwarfs in Norse mythology are depicted as old men with long beards, while others are invisible creatures that hide in caves. Most people believe this mythical race is small in stature, but Russian linguist Anatoly Lieberman thinks their size was misrepresented. Dwarfs are considered to be lesser supernatural beings in Norse mythology, but when Christians came to Scandinavia in the mid-12th century and learned about the natives' mythology, they interpreted that lowly status as literal smallness. Much of our information on the dwarf is from the poetic and prose Eddas, 12th and 13th century works that gave us insight into ancient Norse culture. But dwarfs only appear rarely in these tales, and often in supporting roles with conflicting attributes. Sometimes they're described as seductive predators, and other times they're cheekily referred to as reluctant donors, who lash out when their smith works are stolen. Though experts disagree on their exact role, Professor of Medieval Icelandic Literature at the University of Iceland, Arman Jakobsen, notes that in spite of their apparently limited role, dwarfs may have had an unexplained importance in Old Norse mythology. That unexplained importance could be their role in bringing knowledge to the human world, as depicted in the myth of the poetic mead from Snorri Sturluson's Prose Edda, the tale follows two dwarf brothers who encounter a god-made being of pure knowledge named Kvasir. Kvasir was created in the image of man by the gods, and there was nothing he didn't know, except when he was going to die. Kvasir beamed at the amazed villagers around him. The entire town had gathered in the square to ask questions, and he couldn't disappoint them. He took his role as knowledge-bearer very seriously. A timid woman approached the long-bearded man and asked, "'Oh, wise Kvasir, why does light flash in the sky during a storm?' Kvasir smiled at her and pointed upwards. He told the crowd about the god Thor, whose magical hammer set off great beams of light whenever he used it. He went on to reveal, that very hammer was forged by the dwarfs. Murmurs of surprise spread across the crowd. One man shouted, the underground buffoons? Impossible! Kvasir chuckled before responding, Those dwarfs indeed, though I would argue they are no buffoons. Little did Kvasir know that nearby, from the shadows of a pine tree, one of those very creatures was listening to him closely. The dwarf Galar eagerly watched Kvasir with longing. Admiring how the words effortlessly flew from his tongue. It was those words, Kvasir's poetry, and his knowledge that Galar coveted. Galar was a smith who toiled over the forge in the dwarf realm, Svartalveim. He was proud of the useful items he crafted, and his work had earned him a reputation as sterling as his silver. But he'd listened to Kvasir for hours now, and his way with words made Galar's heart ache. Galar worked in the dark, but poetry and knowledge, that was the light. If Galar had the knowledge Kvasir did, he too could spout verses about the world. He could draw crowds who might look past his odd appearance and be charmed by his intellect. But of course, that was an impossible dream. In the distance, he heard Kvasir proclaim, Once again, I have brought forth a godly feast by filling your heads with words. Eat and be full. Galar closed his eyes, letting Kvasir's words satiate him. That evening, Galar sat in his cave, watching his brother Fjallar ravenously devour a mutton leg. Fjallar had an egg-shaped bald head and a wiry black beard. His stature was small, but his massive hands were strong and sturdy. Galar sighed. He looked a lot like his brother, an ugliness he had not been ashamed of until he'd laid eyes on the handsome Kvasir. His cheeks burned as he thought of Kvasir's full lips and high cheekbones. It made sense that someone so beautiful could speak with such fluidity. Maybe that was why the dwarf tongue was dull. Who would want to hear beautiful verses from something so ugly? Or maybe they just hadn't tried. Galar watched the flames dance. What did fire make him think of? It was hot, He shook his head, frustrated. He was no poet. Fialar grunted, You are moping. It is irksome. Fialar was direct and unflinching. It was the dwarf way. Galar sighed. They were so different. Galar was quiet and thoughtful, whereas Fialar was loud and brash. But no one knew him better or gave him as much grief. Galar explained his sighting of Kvasir, bracing himself for Fialar's mockery. He told Fialar how much he wished for the intellect and beautiful diction that the gods kept for themselves. Fialar snorted Good luck! The gods use our creations, but we cannot use theirs. Later that night, Galar sat alone in their cave. Fjallar had gone for some mysterious errand, and Galar was taking advantage of the quiet to practice his poetry. He stared at a rock and said, "'Oh, rock, how... hard, like a rock!' He winced. Galar perked up at the sound of Fjallar's return, but he was not alone— he watched the entrance as two figures appeared, his brother's short squat form and Kvasir. Galar's jaw dropped. His brother had brought the beacon of knowledge here, to their cave. Galar had so many things to ask him, but all he could say was a breathless, hello. Kvasir smiled warmly. Hello. Hello. I am Kvasir, made from the gods to know. Kvasir looked around the room, nodding at their large kettle, Othrarir, and the two metal tubs that sat beside it. He said, Mead brewing? And I bet you crafted that kettle. It is beautiful. Dwarves are the best smiths in the nine worlds. Did you know that the first dwarf was born as a maggot from the giant Imir?" Galar flinched at this. Fjallar did too. The maggot story was a sore subject for the dwarfs. He gently corrected Kvasir. Sir, with all due respect, that's not true. Kvasir shook his head, beaming. Oh no, it is true. I was made to know. You were meant to be simple-minded little worms until you were given form and reason by the gods. On their behalf, I say, you are welcome. Galar saw Fjallar's jaw tighten, but his brother said nothing. Over cups of mead, Kvasir regaled them with his poetry. Galar shivered with pleasure. The words excited him, even if he wasn't sure they made much sense. He noticed Fjallar rise from the fireside and disappear into the back of the cave. Good, Galar thought. Now I can finally ask Kvasir some real questions without Fjallar poking fun at me. He leaned forward, eyeing the wise man carefully, and asked him how he found inspiration for his poetry. Kvasir smiled. When the world's answers come as quickly as I please, I can weave them into a verse with ease." Galar stared longingly at the tall, handsome human. He would never have such knowledge, for it was trapped right there in Kvasir's beautiful head. As Galar gazed at the man, an ax flew out of nowhere, hitting the side of Kvasir's throat. It split his neck, letting out a spine-tingling crack as it hit bone. Galar shot to his feet with a scream. Kvasir's limp corpse dropped, revealing Fjallar's blood-speckled face behind him. Galar stared in horror at Kvasir's dead, vacant eyes. His eyes flew to the blood that seeped onto the cave floor. His hands trembled and his heart rattled his chest, and yet a dark thought flitted through Galar's mind he couldn't help but wonder what magic Kvassir's blood held. Coming up, Galar and Fjallar use Kvassir for some of their own inspiration. Listeners, have you heard the eerie new podcast, Superstitions? Every Wednesday, explore the varying beliefs people around the world fear and follow in this mystifying series from ParCast. You do not want to miss it. Each week, step inside stories that illustrate the horror, weirdness, and truth behind humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Why do black cats represent witchcraft? What's the point of carrying a rabbit's foot around with you? And how come certain films seem cursed and others don't? Each new episode of Superstitions presents a story that unlocks the mysteries of unorthodox traditions and surreal phenomena. They may seem cryptic or illogical or completely insane, but then again, do they? Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness.
0: Though their appearance and motives shift depending on the myth, the dwarfs' skilled craftsmanship remains a constant. Austrian-American scholar Lada Motz suggests, the dwarfs are not a mythical dynasty, but a mythical representation of a profession. A smith's craftsmanship likely felt magical to the ancient Norse. Motz notes, much of the importance attributed to human and divine metal is a heritage of those distant days when the craftsman was essential in the evocation of sacrality and life. But Icelandic professor Arman Jakobsen points out that the dwarf's divinity was questionable. He writes, most scholars have subscribed to the view that the main function of the Old Norse dwarf was that of being a smith, and that as such, he was very much inferior to the gods, who created dwarfs when they themselves had lost their manufacturing skills. This makes sense, considering the disparity between their realms. Gods and giants live in great halls, while the dwarfs toil away in dark forges beneath them. They create tools for gods and heroes to use in battle, but rarely are there stories of dwarfs wielding their own creations. Still, not all dwarfs resigned themselves to the forge. Some, like Galar and Fjallar, lurked in their caves and waited for a chance to change their fortune. But unlike his gentle brother Galar, Fjallar was tired of waiting. Fialar gleefully watched as the human embodiment of wisdom hung from the ceiling. Kvasir swayed back and forth as blood drained from his neck into the massive kettle called Othrarir. Fialar turned to where Galar crouched in the corner, staring at Kvasir's body in horror. Fialar eyed him tenderly. His brother had been melancholy for some time. But Fjallar was not. He tired of the way the gods disrespected his kind, and he glowered as he remembered that maggot story Kvasir had spouted. Just another rumor to discredit the noble dwarf. Fjallar stared at the blood pooling in the kettle. Dwarfs also made the mead the gods drank, but this batch wasn't for the gods. Fjallar was infusing mead with the blood of this god-made poet so that his brother Galar could drink in all the wisdom he wanted. Galar looked up from his place in the corner and the two brothers locked eyes. Galar flushed and muttered, We should tell the gods what happened. Fjallar felt a surge of annoyance rise through him. He spat back, I did this for you, so you can consume Kvasir's essence and talk about how that stupid rock makes you feel. Fialar watched Galar smugly, noticing his brother's eyes dart downwards. Yes, Fialar had heard his laughable attempt at poetry. Fialar looked up at Kvasir. His blood was almost fully drained. He couldn't help but smile when he remembered the moment of Kvasir's murder. He'd never harmed anyone before, but when he flung that axe, it hit Kvasir right in the neck in a way that made Fialar feel good. Fialar prodded at the embers. Then he heaved Othrarir over the coals and told his brother, bring some honey so that we may sweeten the blood. Galar hesitated. Kvasir was nice to me. I do not like what we have done. Fialar could see the torment in Galar's gaze. His brother was agonized by indecision. Fialar lay a hand on his arm and said, you are sad over a lump of meat. He is dead. Might as well make the most of it, eh? As Galar closed his eyes, Fialar could almost hear his brother's inner quandary screaming at the thought of drinking his idol's blood. Then finally, Galar relented, stood, and brought over a jug of honey. Fialar smiled as the blood boiled in the kettle. Fialar poured the honey in, mixing it with a rod. The two dwarfs ladled themselves portions into two ornate brass cups. Cups that their father had crafted. Fialar smiled and held his aloft in a toast. Two dwarfs. Galar hesitated, staring into his cup forlornly. He could not drink it. Fialar's anger flared. Suit yourself, idiot brother. Enjoy my poetry then. Fialar downed the thick mixture, a warmth spread through him, coursing through his veins all the way to his fingertips and toes. He stared at his hands and felt his mind grow heavy with phrases and images. It was as if he was whizzing through the entirety of the world in seconds. Then he thought of Kvasir's death, and a well of words bubbled within him, the reverberating wail of the axe hitting bone, the dulling of Kvasir's bright eyes as life drained from his body. Fjallar cried out, The blood bursts forth, a cascade of tragedy, but nothing stings sharper than the sorrow of a soul's departure. Galar gasped at his brother's sudden eloquence, then quickly chugged his own cup of mead. When Galar finished, he looked to Fjolar with tears in his eyes and cried out, ''Perhaps it's best that Kvasir is dead, for now his divine knowledge fills my head.'' The brothers laughed, then spent the night speaking in boisterous, mellifluous verse, delighting in their newfound power. Their merriment was interrupted by the echo of footsteps from the mouth of their cave. The brothers looked at one another, then at Kvasir's dangling corpse. Fialar could see Galar tremble. The mead might have given Galar the gift of eloquent speech, but it had done nothing to embolden him. Fialar rose up. He would handle this, as he handled everything. He tore off into the dark tunnel that led to the world outside. There, he spied a massive, lanky figure silhouetted at the cave's mouth. It was a giant. Fialar pressed himself against the cave wall, but the giant had seen him. He called out in a surprisingly polite voice, Hello? I am Gilling. I'm looking for the entrance to Svartalveim. I'm hoping to find someone to craft me a new kettle. Fjallar considered the lumbering beast. Much like the gods, giants oppressed the dwarfs while enjoying the benefits of their craft. Before, he thought it was just the way of the world. But staring at Gilling now, he felt rage boil up inside of him. A flurry of information about giants rolled through his mind. The race was born from the giant Ymir. They resided in Jotunheimer. They loved to drink, and though they were enormous, they were quite slow. Fjallar smiled. A quick dwarf with strong hands could be a match for a slovenly giant who didn't see him coming. He spread his arms out wide and said, We will provide you with a map. Gilling nodded and called out, "Solve in here. Booming footsteps shook the earth, and a female giant joined Gilling. Fjallar froze. Solvey had just made things a little more difficult. Fjalar ran into the cave to fetch his brother. He would have to separate the giants, and it would not be easy. He quickly told Galar that two giants were here, demanding to know what happened to Kvasir. The lie flew from his tongue easily, another asset of the magical mead, he supposed. Galar was terrified, but Fialar said... I told them Kvasir was last seen going to Svartalveim. I will take care of this. I just need you to watch the wife. Galar rushed out to greet their guests, but Fjallar lingered. He crossed to their workbench where a coil of wire sat amongst anvils and iron scraps. A strong wire forged in Svartalveim by their kin. He grabbed it and put it in his pocket. The neck was the softest part of the body, and this wire was the sharpest steel. It was quite the perfect match. Fjallar emerged from the cave to find Galar, nervously chatting up the giants. He hid his shaking hands as he proclaimed, You loom over us like mountains, fair folk. You are descendants of Ymir, but you do not look as lethal as I would have imagined. Though you are of great size, you have kind eyes. Solvay smiled at the dwarf's unusual eloquence, but Gilling was all business and asked for his promised map. Fialar stepped in, saying, Ah, yes, it is best if I show you the way myself. He turned to his confused brother. "'Galar, will you entertain Solvay while I help Gilling?' Gilling frowned. "'And why should my wife not come with me?' Fialar kept his voice steady and his eyes locked on Gilling as he said, "'If the gatekeepers of Svartalveim are unnerved, the gate will close.' You are intimidating creatures to us small folk. It's best to introduce yourself alone first, then retrieve your wife. Thanks to the mead, Fjallar now knew that giants responded well to confidence and eye contact. Sure enough, his slick speech soothed Gilling, who bid his wife adieu and followed Fjallar toward the water. Fialar took him to their dock, where a sturdy boat bobbed in the current. Gilling hesitated, and Fialar knew exactly what gave him pause. Due to their size and weight, giants had a nasty history of drowning. But Gilling got in anyway. Fialar rowed them out to sea, staring at Gilling's neck and contemplating exactly how he would get the wire around it. He had speed and surprise on his side, but he'd need a distraction, too. Fjallar looked and saw that the tide was low, exposing the tip of a large rock just ahead. He looked at Gilling and said, Do you know why we have tides? Thor had a drinking problem, and one of your kin, a giant, challenged him to drink the sea. Gilling looked at him, confused. Fialar took advantage of that distraction to launch himself onto Gilling's shoulders. He flung the wire around Gilling's neck and pulled. He was a good opponent for the giant as a lifetime of metal forging had given Fialar formidable strength. Gilling's massive arms swiped at Fialar, but Fialar knew where a giant's arms could not reach and nestled into the crook of his neck. In this struggle, Gilling flailed so wildly, he tossed himself out of the boat and plunged them both into the water. Beneath the waves, Fialar held his breath and pulled. Finally, he felt the bones in Gilling's neck snap. The giant went limp, and Fialar released him. He watched the great figure sink downwards into the abyss. It was a beautiful sight watching that giant disappear into the depths. As he did, Fialar wondered how he and Galar had ever survived in the dark, isolated cave of ignorance they had come from. They had power now, and Fialar wouldn't hesitate. To kill for more. Coming up, Galar scrambles to clean up his brother's mess. Now back to the story. Mead was important to the ancient Norse, and because it was boiled and fermented, it was often considered safer to drink than water. Drinking was a must at major events like funerals, contract signings, marriages, and land deals. And mead halls often featured bards, who would spout verses and stories as entertainment. Drinking, poetry, and knowledge were closely intertwined in Norse culture. But poetry in particular was relied upon to bring generations together. It was how stories were passed down and preserved. This knowledge was Odin's gift to man, and it had a special power. It could save poets from a king's wrath and give honor to the most unscrupulous. And perhaps it could even save murderers like Fjallar and Galar. Galar was certain that his brother had killed again. He'd seen the look on Fjallar's face when he left, There was a glint in his eye and a lie on his lips when he told the giantess Solvay that her husband Gilling would be fine on their journey. As they waited by the trees outside the cave, Solvay sensed something was amiss, too. She sobbed. I know something has happened to my Gilling. I can feel it. Galar reflected on the day's strange events. Fjallar had changed since he'd killed Kvasir, He'd always been impulsive and mischievous, but there was a lethal energy to him that made Galar shiver. He was grateful for the words that now bubbled in his mind and flew from his lips, but there was a new ache in his heart. Knowledge was not just beauty, it was pain, too. He turned to Solveig and was struck with a thought. Perhaps he could quell her discontent simply by speaking, as Kvasir once did. He leaned towards Solvay and asked, Do you know why Odin only has one eye? Solvay stopped crying and shook her head. Galar smiled and said, He gave it up for a drink of water from the well of knowledge. The story is quite fascinating. Solvay stared at him incredulously, then asked to hear more. Galar smiled. He'd never been given that look before, but he'd seen it on the faces of the villagers that Kvasir had regaled. It felt good to know things and to tell others. As Galar was about to continue, Fjallar pushed through the trees. Galar's stomach flipped when he realized his brother was alone. What had he done? Solvay apparently thought the same thing. She shrieked, demanding to know where her husband was. Fjallar assured her that he was waiting by the sea. Solvay blubbered. I was so worried. Just give me a moment. I do not want him to see me like this. Her wails made Galar flinch. As Fjallar passed his brother, he whispered, How have you withstood her cries? It is relentless, like the shriek of a bull in the throes of death. Galar grabbed his brother's arm and whispered frantically, Where is Gilling? Did you show him to Svartelveim? Fjalar shoved him off and disappeared inside the cave, but not before Galar saw the state of his hands. They were bloody. Galar watched his brother go, dread growing in his belly. He should have sent Fjallar to be punished by the elder dwarfs immediately after he'd killed Kvasir, but he'd been seduced by the power of the mead, and now he was complicit. Galar whispered a verse. His hands, marred with blood, were a map of his misdeeds. Solve looked at him through her tears, disturbed at his muttering. She tried to get a hold of herself, but trying not to cry just made her cry harder. Galar shot to his feet at the sound of a sickening crack. Solvay teetered in the air, blood running down her face. Then she fell to the ground with a crash and a bloodied millstone rolled to Galar's feet. Galar looked up. Fjallar stood atop the mouth of the cave, smiling a ghastly smile. He explained, a weighted object dropped from a precise height at a proper angle collapses the spine. Isn't that clever? Galar swore under his breath. Did Fjallar mean to kill everyone who came asking about Kvasir? But as he stared at his brother's sinister face... Galar realized that it wasn't protection Fjallar was after. It was the joy of killing itself. That night, they made a fire outside the cave. Galar stared at it, musing about how it was beautiful but deadly, just like the mead they made from Kvasir's blood. He did not know what to do. Fjallar had gone mad, There were now two bodies in their cave, and likely a third nearby. Solvay lay just inside the cave's entrance, too heavy to dispose of. They might have to wait for her to rot before burying her corpse, suffering the scent of decay for months. Fialar's eyes glinted maniacally in the firelight. For the first time, Galar understood why the gods did not give the gift of knowledge to all. Some found beauty in the world around them, while others found beauty in destruction. Galar felt tears spring from his eyes. He and Fjallar had gotten along well enough when they were ignorant, but with the knowledge the Mead had brought, Galar understood just how different they really were. Suddenly, a large figure appeared at the edge of the clearing. He stepped into the firelight, and Galar saw that it was another giant, younger and not fully grown, and yet his muscles bulged and his eyes were sharp. This giant was a young warrior. He called himself Sutung, and said that he was looking for his parents, Gilling and Solvay. They had not come home from their visit to Svartalveim for a new kettle. Galar stared, mouth agape. The giants had not been looking for Kvasir at all. They were simply shopping. Fjallar had lied to him. Galar turned to his brother in horror as Fjallar stood to greet Sutung. He apologized and said they had not seen his parents. Galar looked to the cave with worry. Sutung followed Galar's gaze, then sniffed the air. His nose wrinkled. What is that smell? Fialar laughed and said they'd cooked meat for dinner. But Sutung stormed into the cave entrance. Before either brother could act, Sutung let out a guttural wail. He'd found his mother's corpse. Galar looked at Fjallar. His brother always had a plan, no matter how sinister. But Fjallar was uneasy as he watched the cave's entrance. Galar could guess he was thinking about Sutung's muscular form. This would be no easy kill. Especially since the young warrior was furious about his mother's death. Still, it did not mean Fialar wouldn't try. As soon as Sutung emerged from the cave, Fialar lunged at the giant's throat. But Sutung was quicker than his father. He grabbed Fialar by the neck and shouted, Where is my father? What have you done with him? Galar watched Fialar go limp he looked from his brother to the furious Sutung, torn. Fjallar was a killer, more monstrous than Galar had ever suspected. But he could not just let his brother die. Even at his worst, Fjallar was all he had. So Galar cried out, Please stop, we will take you to him. Let us settle this with a trade. Spare my brother's life and we will show you to your father's corpse. Fialar rowed them into the ocean until they reached the rock that jutted out of the water. Fialar nodded and said, It was around here, but the current may have taken him elsewhere, as currents are wont to do. Su Tung stared into the water. Galar noticed that the giant's hands were shaking and thought he might be able to say something to soothe Su Tung's pain. He gently told the giant, Death takes us all. Even the gods face the idea of a preordained death. Your father could not escape it any more than you or I can. Su Tung spoke with icy rage. Pretty words, but there is nothing you can say to make things right. Now get out of the boat. Fialar and Galar stared at one another. What did he mean? Su Tung roared. Onto the rock. Fialar shot back. When the tide rises, we will drown. Galar glanced back to shore. Fialar was right. It was too far to swim back to shore. Fialar reared up to attack Sutung, but unlike his father, the young giant's reflexes were swift. He caught Fialar, then tossed him onto the rock. Then, he picked up Galar and threw him beside his brother. Fjallar screamed and cursed the giant as waves lapped at the dwarf brother's feet. But Galar paid him no mind. All he could do was stare at the grief-stricken giant. He had lost everything, and Galar's pretty words could not heal him. But perhaps the mead would. Galar imagined Sutung drinking it down and finding the right words and thoughts to heal himself. As these images crossed his mind, he felt a huge weight fall from his shoulders. So he told Sutung about the poetic mead and all of its power, how he could find the words to soothe his grief, and how he could share the mead. He could curry favor with Odin and the gods by giving it to them, or use it to impress the humans and become a god to them. Su Tung's eyes widened, his sadness briefly replaced with wonder. Galar hoped it would be enough for Su Tung to take pity on them and pull them back into the boat. But the young giant just rowed away. Fjallar sat beside Galar, staring daggers at him. He asked how Galar could be so happy. Galar said, ''Do you not see? I wanted to share words and knowledge with the world, and now I've done so through him.'' A tear rolled down Fjallar's cheek as he protested that they could have done so much more if only Galar had helped him fight. They could have become gods. Galar smiled and said, But we do not deserve it. You know that as well as I do. Fjallar sighed, then said, You tried so valiantly to write a poem about the rock in our cave. Here we are, dying on another rock. Got anything to say about this one? Galar laughed through his tears and thought for a moment. Then he began to speak. The last thing Fjallar heard before they drowned was his silly brother Galar's beautiful poetry. Sutung went on to take the poetic mead from the dwarf's cave, though Odin and the gods retrieved it. A few leftover drops were bestowed upon mortal poets. And so, though the Dwarf's Mead led to gruesome consequences, it gave poetry and knowledge to all mankind. To the Norse, being a master of the written word was the same as knowing as much as the gods. When the myth began, knowledge was controlled by these deities and relegated to Kvasir, a vessel they created to contain it. Knowledge is power, and the myth proves how dangerous it is when placed in the wrong mind. However, it is unfair to keep knowledge from the masses, so while the dwarf's behavior was reckless, it was ultimately necessary. The myths surrounding dwarfs provided the Norse with the words to make sense of their world. But though myths may no longer be crucial to us today, they provide us with past knowledge that can help inform how we think about the future. As the dwarfs have taught us, moving forward armed with information can be just as useful as wielding a well-crafted sword in the midst of a battle. The secret is simply how you decide to use your power. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Kate Murdoch, with writing assistance by Alex Garland fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez, and research by Adriana Gomez and Mickey Taylor. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Bad omens, good fortune, pure luck... Take a closer look at what you believe in and follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Superstitions. New episodes air weekly, every Wednesday. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.